Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. For sure, I think if I get to drive more and more and more, uh, for sure, you know, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I nearly told him to calm down in the end. I'm like, mate, you're making me stressed. I'm stressed enough as is. In 2014, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris won Bathurst. The race finished at almost 6.30 and 5.2 million people were watching at the end of that race. So a quarter of the Australian population watched Chaz win that race. That's a pretty you know, compelling figure to, to drop on anybody. <laughs> From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars with Craig Lavelle and Tony Whitlock. G'day, Craig. Tony, it's uh, good that it's a race weekend again after uh, a few weeks off. There's plenty to see on the track, and I'll be interested to see who you think is going to win at, well, Sydney Motorsport Park. I keep trying to call it Eastern Creek um, this weekend. You're not a young fellow, so it's been Eastern Creek a lot longer than it was Sydney Motorsport Park for you as well. Mm. Anyway, yes, look, it is going to be a very interesting weekend. Great to see a very full schedule again. Um, just looking through, well, of course, we've got the 26 uh, supercars there, the uh, the Gen 2. No, they're not Gen 2s. They're yeah. future cars of the future. But we've also got the Development Super 2 Series. We've got GTs and a wonderful array of GTs. There are 17 in total, um, four Mercedes, four Lambos, four Mercedes. Um, oh, there's a couple of McLarens and BMWs, Ferraris. A wonderful array. A great array of young driving talent. A lot of New Zealanders in amongst them too. Dominic Story, Jack Nevins, Graham Smythe, Johnny Reed coming back. Fantastic to see such a good array of driving talent and some good young Australian drivers as well. As well as Formula 4, Toyota 86 and, the, uh, as I said, the Super 2. And the Super 2, of course, will have those drivers who are trying and, and succeeding to a large degree their first run in the main game, that being Todd Hazelwood, Shay Davies, Jack LeBrock. They're all back in their own series and their own cars, although I suppose quite a few of them will be running in the co-driver sessions on the Friday. Uh, no, no co-driver session on Friday, I'm led to believe. No co-driver session. All right, okay, well, they'll have their own cars to run. Interestingly, there's some talk around about um, uh, the man who's behind uh, Todd Hazelwood, and I can't remember the name of the chap. He runs in the Tirana that uh, Matt Stone Racing built and run prepared for them. Jason Gomesall. Yes, Jason Gomesall. Yes, I've met the man. I do know him. And there's talk about them uh, getting a, uh, a license to go and run in the main game. Um, that's conjecture at the moment. Certainly, uh, Jim Stone, when I've spoken to him about it, has said, well, that's a long way from where we are at the moment. But they're doing a great job. Todd is leading the point score in Super 2. He's won quite a few races this year. And that'll be an interesting battle to uh, continue on. Um, also on the agenda this week is the fact that um, Alex Davison has got not just one or two or three, but he's got four more rounds to actually do with LDM, the number three Commodore, which is terrific. Alex is a very capable driver. Um, one of very few drivers in this country who's been a Porsche factory driver. And he still is very much endorsed by Porsche. He's still... Uh, uh, runs in the Carrera Cup, and in fact he has that double duty through uh, the next three rounds, not uh, East, not um, Eastern Creek, but the three rounds after that in the Enduro Cup. He'll be running in the 
Carrera Cup as well. So that's a terrific thing for Alex to uh, have that, such continuity. Of course, uh, Aaron Russell, who ran with uh, LDM at the start of this year, the Lucas Umbrell team, he comes back and he's driving at Newcastle, which is terrific for the Newcastle event for them to have a Newcastle driver on board. The only thing still to be settled is who is going to be in the car at Pukukuri, but that will, I'm sure, come in time. You'd have to so, back. You'd have to back. Uh, a uh, well-credentialed New Zealand driver, wouldn't you, just wanting to get a one-off? And Well, yes, you would. And, you know, there are a, any good number of them around uh, who could step up and do the job more than well. Interesting, Pukukoi this week, some news of uh, some track uh, upgrades coming in the future. They've just had a, or just about to have a renewal of their uh, contract for another three or four years. They've certainly got ITM uh, on board as a sponsor. So that's a fantastic thing. It's a great track, great history on it. Built in 1964, ran the Tasman Series many years, still runs major race meetings in the New Zealand uh, calendar. But this year, um, the next event rather, we're going to Sydney Motorsport Park. It's the 10th supercar event for the year in the ninth round. Uh, race 17-18, a 120k on Saturday, 200k on the Sunday. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if we're going to... Uh, have a change of format next year. There's been lots of different conjecture put forward as to what's going to happen, including things like night racing or midweek racing, I think was one of the suggestions out there. Um, I understand two days is not on. No, uh, my mail is that it would take uh, it would take a very friendly response from Fox Sports to have two days because uh, Fox Sports are paying for three days of racing action at, at supercar events. And would you run the event, uh, would you run a Friday without supercars being on the track? I don't see where you're making a savings because if you're running Super 2s and supercars on the same bill, most of the main teams have got, uh, have got cars now and they would have to be there Friday. So what, you'd save one night accommodation is what you know, most people say yeah. to me, you're saving yeah. one night accommodation. It's not really a saving. And with the limited testing time, Testing is still very valuable on that Friday. Well, night racing, of course, is also a possibility. The last time some night races happened back in 96, which was Craig Lowndes' debut. I remember it vividly. It was one of the best stats I've ever come up with and that uh, Craig was the one who initiated it because he won two of the three races. It was done on the short track at Eastern Creek, one of the versions of the, the main track. And Craig won two of the three races and the round. And in that time, he equaled HRT's history in the Touring Car Championship in winning two races around on his debut. On debut, Craig, uh, Peter Brock had won the previous uh, races and round, and Craig did it in his debut meeting in '96. A phenomenal event. And as we know, he went on to win uh, all of '96. Came back and picked up where he left off in '98 quite extraordinary and it'd be wonderful to see night racing in because the cars do look good under under lights don't they yeah they do and uh, having been to oran park who's uh, sadly no longer with us and eastern creek for nascar under lights i uh, i would um, i would feel that that in the right format would be uh, uh, absolutely gun ho even at eastern creek on the short circuit um the Druid circuit could uh, still perform very well, but it has to be the right format and it has to be something that's 
completely different. I would suggest even not part of the championship. Just make it so completely different, so completely out there that, yeah, just won't want to miss it. And uh, uh, naturally enough, I've got my ideas of what that should be, but it's far too long for the agenda for me to go into it. Anyway, um, that now having spoken about what's coming up um, in uh, this weekend's racing, we'll talk about what's coming up in this week's show. We're fortunate enough this uh, moment to have Anthony McDonald, known far and wide as Macca, been with HRT a long time. I've known him uh, pre-Walkinshaw Racing when he was with the M3 boys out of Sydney, Dorman Cotter. Um, he's coming up to tell us his story and recent developments in the Walkinshaw Racing. And the second part of the show today will be the second part of Kevin Fitzsimon, the Dunlop Motorsport Manager, talking about the development of the tyre for 2018 and beyond. So coming up first is Macker on HRT and Walkinshaw's. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as BAT Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. And we welcome to Inside Supercars this week one of the stalwarts and one of the heavy hitters in the supercar <laughs> paddock, that being Anthony Macca McDonald. Good evening. Good evening, Tane. How are you going? I'm well indeed, sir. It's been a, uh, a pretty rocky few last years, but um, you've got a long history in the sport. We'd like to start off with where you first came in contact with motorsport, what your first interest, contact with it was, how you became involved? Well, I was working in Sydney um, for Peter Dolman in his mechanical workshop and basically uh, he was running a couple of BMWs out of the workshop at the time and uh, got me interest for motorsport then and basically basically helped them out for about five years when, when I was based up in Sydney. This is and, the uh, uh, M3 uh, University. Yes, yes, as as uh, Peter and John used to call it, it used to be a bit of a university. People who worked with them moved on to do other things in motorsport. Yeah, people like Dave Stewart as well. Yes, Dave Stewart, um, and I've got to say Ivan Taylor as well, who worked for yep. Gibson Motorsport there for a while and went overseas. I'm pretty sure I worked for McLaren, like getting me teams right. Yes. Um, and there's been a couple other guys come through and have done other things. So you're a mechanic by trade, and you Correct. still use that in your day-to-day evaluation of what the job is? Yes, I do. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, and as team manager, you have to budget. You have to sit down and work out who, what, and where on all the things that move around, all the cars and the people? Yes, that's correct. I, um, I do all the logistics for the team at the minute. Um, so, you know, we're talking about flights, hotel rooms, uh, who's travelling, who's not travelling, uh, um, you know, when the cars have got to be ready by in the in the workshop, uh, sorry, in the truck, and um, when we're doing ride days, all all of the logistics side of things, I have to be on top of. Mm. And, and of course, at one stage or for quite some years, you actually had twice the size because you had four cars and and twice as many people. Yes, yes, that's true. Uh, they were uh, busy times then, very busy times. Right. 
as well as with your father of three, is it? Uh, only two, thank two. God. Right. Two's okay. enough at the minute. <laughs> um, and had to fit those things in all the fatherly duties you have to do around that. So when you made the decision to go full-time, um, obviously you were working full-time and you were going to race meetings and doing Bathurst and things like that and going and, and, and seeing how supercars was evolving in those early or late 90s, rather. Yep. And it appealed to you, the, the, the motorsport oh. and the way in which it worked. Look, look the whole... Um the whole team atmosphere, that was what really got me into motorsport. Just the camaraderie, you know, everyone working with each other. It was just good times to be around. Um, we had, you know, especially in M3 Motorsport, we had good people working there. And it was looking like they were ending, you know, just budget. Things were happening and there was more motorsport happening either down in Melbourne or in Brisbane. And I had to work out which way I wanted to head. And I yep. thought for myself, Melbourne was the better option because uh, at the time Craig Lowndes had just, uh, I suppose, defected from Holden to, to Ford to yep. Gibson Motorsport. And uh, a few opportunities came up there and I thought I'd, I'd better go for it before I get too old. Okay. So you, you literally sent off a CV or made some phone calls and uh, went and had some interviews? Yes. Um, I had a couple of... Um, well, Alan Heafy, believe it or not, used to bring his car into Peter Dolman's workshop. Um, <laughs> so I knew Alan from then, and um, I thought I'll give him a call and see what's happening. Uh, is there any positions down there? And look, to uh, Alan's credit, he actually uh, said there, there was, and he gave me an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know Peter well, as you, you well know. And um, I know that uh, Peter and John, particularly Peter, of course, because it's his workshop you were in, and he runs the mechanical side, whereas John was looking after the legal matters. Yes, yeah. But um, but Peter runs a, a tight ship, not in terms of um, you know being overly bossy or anything like that. But you know, it's a well, it's a good structural sound from where to go in motorsport, isn't it? Oh yeah, look, look Peter had been around motorsport for a long time, and. Um, he learned a lot from, you know, Gossie and all those sort of older characters and uh, what he learned from them, you know, sort of reflected in the team. And it was just the way he structured everything, um, the way he spoke to the guys and the way he worked with the guys. It's it's probably what what I really got excited about and wanted to keep keep going in motorsport. So I, have to, I probably have to blame Peter, Peter Dolman, for actually uh, wanting me or making me go to Melbourne and uh, staying in motorsport. All right, okay. So, uh, Walkinshaws, of course, have been through a lot of tumultuous times. You've seen the uh, the change in structure when uh, Mark Scaife had to own the business for a while. Yes. Um, you saw it when Tom Walkinshaw bought it back, unfortunately then seeing the death of Tom and the way in which Martine and Ryan had to step yep. in. Yep, yes. You've seen people come and go, like Steve Hallam and Adrian Burgess. Um, you, you're almost the, the one constant in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's true, I am. Um, yeah, a lot of things have happened. There's been, I don't know, some uh, big times <laughs> where things have happened and you probably want to put your head in the sand and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we're, we're still pressing on. We've got a lot of good things in the pipeline, which is, you know, hopefully will come out soon. Um, you know, I've... The Walkinshaw name isn't dead and buried in motorsport, especially no. in Australia. We're, um, we're pressing on pretty hard at the minute. I, I think one of the things that most people in Australia 
uh, outside those people who made a job to find out about it was the size of the Walkinshaw Empire at its absolute height. It was enormous, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. massive. Across manufacturers like both Mazda and uh, Jaguar and Rover in England, um, yep. you know, just quite extraordinary. Um, and, the, and the fact that, that Tom put together the HSV Empire, you know, which is a massive thing. Yeah, uh, he was unbelievable. Like just his business sense. Oh, you know, there's not a lot of blokes in motorsport like him. Um, the way he just went about, got things done, um, took the pressure off certain guys, and put put the pressure on himself to make sure things were going right. He, he was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Maka, did you ever have the chance to, to go over and, and work on uh, British touring cars uh, or uh, no, sports never... cars, Formula One? He had so much of it. <laughs> no, I never had the chance, uh, unfortunately. I, um, I pr- probably just came into the Walkinshaw Empire, you know, at the end of it. So well, I shouldn't say it that way, at the end of it. But, you know, when it was at its peak, I sort of just moved into the HRT side of things and... You know, things were happening. There was, there was change in the air, and um, yeah, it was un- unfortunate. I couldn't couldn't make it over to Europe. The one thing you have experienced, which not many people in this country have, and that is not just one, not two, but three Bathurst wins. Now that must be a phenomenal feeling. Oh, it is. Look, I, I haven't won a championship yet. I've come close. Yep. But uh, winning Bathurst, you know, everyone says it. You know, if you got to win a race all year. Only one of them. That's the race to win. And look, it is the effort that goes into the Bathurst. You know, everyone keeps talking about it, but the effort that everyone puts in the Bathurst, trying to win that race, when you do succeed, it is just the best feeling. Do you feel you have a special bond with all the people in your crew ever since then? You know, ah, uh, yes, you do. Like, there's there's not a lot of people that can say that, you know we've won Bathurst. Not a lot of teams have. Can actually say it, and and the guys that have won batters, they know the effort they put in. So you, you do have a special bond with those sort of guys. Macca, it seems to me over the last probably four years, three four years, that we aren't seeing as transient of workforce as what we've previously had. Guys used to come in, they'd do two or three years, there'd be so much travel, there'd be so much, uh, you know, particularly late night working every night of the week that uh, they could only do it for a very short period of time. Am I right in saying yeah. that teams and, and people like yourself are getting better at managing your manpower? I'd say you're absolutely on the mark there because I remember when I first moved to Melbourne, the hours that we were doing, and really Gibson Motorsport at that time, we were, they were changing manufacturers and there was a lot of work happening and all that sort of stuff. Um, and even when I moved to HRT, like the late nights that we were doing, uh, trying to get cars ready for race meetings it was it was long hours. But now um, I think we've got a different mindset. We understand that to lose the guys that we've got on the floor, um, they're so hard to replace, especially when you've got really good experienced guys. Um, we've got a lot of those guys at the minute, a lot of experience, and we've kept most of our workforce, workforce that are on the floor for the last three to four years. So we haven't really had many many changes there. So keeping those guys on the floor working means we have reliable cars. Um, We've got really good continuity with the guys. Everyone knows what their position is within the team. And, um, you know, all that helps just to keep it, keeping good guys in the sport. In your working time, uh, Maka, you've seen 
back in the 90s when you were involved with the BMWs and then the uh, uh, Perkins Commodores, yep. that the, one of the uh, most major ways cars retire were finger problems. If not finger problems, then certainly machining or welding or those sort of things happen. And they're nearly gone, aren't they? They are. They are. But, you know, you hardly ever see a car now have a DNF. So, you know, that's that's for the guys working on the floor, on the floor, working on the cars. But it's also got to do with probably the quality of engineers you have behind the scenes as well. The quality of engineers sure and the quality of materials and computers. Exactly, and, exactly yeah, right. So the, the whole step, it's all just stepped up another level and it'll probably step up another level again soon. Um, but I, I, I still got to go back to, you know, you, you're building these cars now. You go to Bathurst and it's not an endurance race as such anymore. It's nearly a sprint race. So you... You've got to make sure that these cars are built to finish races um, and have the least amount of problems as well. And then basically get them back to the workshop, strip them down quickly, get them built again quickly, go off to the next race meeting. Yeah. Talking about managing you... logistics, Macca, and uh, last week we were going to speak to you, but uh, you <laughs> threw in a test day. How hard is it to make a change like that on the fly? Um. Look, it probably wasn't as hard as what it sort of seemed. It, we, we knew we had a couple of test days left and we just had to decide where we were engineering-wise with the cars, what we had coming through, um, and when was the best time for us to do it. And we feel probably going into going into the Enduros, having, we'll definitely have another test before the Enduros as well, but doing a test last week, making sure that we had bits yeah, in the pipeline, sort of happening for the cars, making sure they were going to be ready. Um, coming to Eastern Creek now, or SMP as we call it, um, making sure that we're now doing another step uh, for for engineering the car for the Enduros and trying to find more speed. So we've we've got a bit of a set plan. We've had a test day. We use Eastern Creek as a bit of a test day as trying you know win the race. We'll have another test day, and then we'll go into the Enduros. What do you think are the elements that are missing now? I mean, you obviously know how and the engineers know how to win because you've done it before, not just enduros but sprint races as well. Yeah. What do you think are the elements? I mean, is it just straight car speed? Yeah, look, it sort of is. I, I, think, it's, I think the lack of testing is one thing that probably has hurt us a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there's probably been a bit of a few changes within our organisation, which has uh, probably hurt hurt as well. Um, you know, I think just getting the getting the drivers to engineers to talk the same language. We're, we're we're sort of on top of that with one car, but the other car is still learning. You know, Scotty's new to our team, so he's he's learning how to. Well, I suppose we're learning how to understand what he wants from the car. That's probably the biggest thing. And yeah, the change of tyre without testing, it, it, it's all little things that just hurts with uh, car speed because we're not talking seconds. Yeah, we're talking under a second, but we're trying to find. So it's those tenths of a second are so hard to find in, you know, in the engineering group, in, in technical group. So, you know, there's, there's probably a combination of things. Right, okay. And um, so you have another test day uh, after or uh, before Sandown? Correct, oh. yes. Um, in which, and you all already had Warren and Jack, your two co-drivers. You had them at the last Winton test day. 
Yes, we did. And they're all going well. I mean, it's one of the uh, things you need to do is have continuity of co-drivers, don't you know? They, you know, so they know what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. You know, we like to give them the car that they know and um, understand because, you know, they get limited kilometres in the cars as well. So giving them a completely different beast probably will take them a while to um, to get on top of it. So we try and give them a car that does everything that they know it does. So, you know, that's, that's the plan with drivers, just trying to help them out, make sure they can do the, you know, the constant quick laps, lap after lap. Okay. So this weekend, um, it's a track that you have won at in the past. Yep. yep. Um, so it's a track that you know what has worked in the past. Obviously, the change of tyre this year has thrown a curveball at, at a lot of teams. Um, yep. And, and uh, so you know, let's get those elements in place. What do you think would be, not a pass mark, but what do you think, what would you aim for is to have, you know, two cars qualify in or close to the top ten? Look, I really would like, and I think a pass mark would be in the top ten, both yeah. cars qualifying, and then um, then actually racing and staying in that top ten. That's that's a pass mark for us. Right. And, that's, and it actually hurts us to say, you know, being in the top ten is a pass mark because that's not where we're striving for. We're actually yeah. striving to be one or two. Beyond that, we're, yeah. we're, we're, We've got a fair way to go, but we're still pushing for that. I mean, it's one of the things, of course, you know, where Walkinshaws go back when there were four cars and, and at, uh, the uh, the B team, shall we call them, in Garth and, and uh, Rick when they were there, yep. um, were winning championships, um, that with four cars, it was, it was you rolled them out in the track and, you know, there's a, a substantial number. Now, of course, you're one of the smallest teams out there with, you know, with so many multi-entry uh, teams in yeah. Pro Drive and, and Triple Eight, um, it, it means, means the top ten fills up pretty quickly, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It does. It's um, extremely hard to get in the top ten. And as you said, with all these other teams with multi-cars, you know, that are, that are quick, um, you know, we're, we've got to be on our game and we've got to understand the cars. The, um, to get to get him in the top ten. Mm. You mentioned before about the testing and just the lack of testing. Is it three or four days that you need to really make a difference, or uh, you know, it, uh, it's unaffordable to go back to what you experienced oh. uh, at Gibson's, where I imagine you were doing a hundred days of testing a year. Oh, there was a few days, probably a hundred, but there was a few days. Um, look, I, I suppose if you had the same tyre that you finished the year before with. You could probably limit the test days, but when you've got a new tyre that you've got to learn, um, you probably need to do more more test days than three a year. So, yeah, especially as you said, we're a bit of a small group at the minute. Um, we, we probably needed to do more. We probably need to do more test days just to just to get on top of it. So. I would say you're looking at about five to six test days would be good. Mm. Without uh, without going into the specifics of it, how detrimental would what um, happen to Nissan? And uh, they went out there for what they th- were planning to be a driver evaluation day, but through some uh, yep. mismanagement, if you like, but uh, call it what you will, they actually ended up finding that that was credited to them as a test day. How, how detrimental will that be to your program? Oh, it'd be massive. Absolutely massive, because you know if they only had the one car there, which that's what I'm pretty sure they had, um, 
you know, they're only getting only a little bit of data. They haven't got their proper drivers in the car as such. So, and, and there's probably no structured plan to go testing. It was if they were saying it was a driver evaluation day, you know, you're just evaluating a driver. Um, if you know, for us, you know, we spent a couple, couple of days just going through the the test plan, making sure that we've Ticked every box. This is what we're going to do. How we're going to understand it. Go back on it again. Check it. Make sure we, what we've done, is correct. Has given us speed. Hasn't given us speed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if they just use that as an evaluation day, um, they it's going to be massive for them. They'll they'll definitely struggle. Mac, I'm I'm sure that you remember a time when you were working on the uh, uh, M3 uh, Commodores in particular when HRT arrived at the track and their cars rolled out of the truck, um, that they were fast. And uh, they were, it was a dominant period through the 90s and early 2000s. Um, I am much subscribed to that school of thought. I mean, while I'm not a uh, Collingwood supporter, I think it's important for the uh, category of AFL that Collingwood is uh, an important team and successful out there in the same way I think HRT needs to be. It needs to be out there, and, you know, and and of course I remember when they were as dominant as Triple Eight were through the two uh, thousands. Yeah, oh, look, it is important. We have, we've got a great fan base, you know, and oh, I suppose if we're dominant, oh well, you know, if we're competing for P one, P two, we're up against, you know, Red Bull, we're up against ProDrive, we'll be up against uh, Penske, and it just makes the racing so much better as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think just for the sport, it's good if we can, and we will get back up there. Um, it'll be good for our sponsors. It means more money coming in, helping us out. You know, good for our fans. You know, it would just be good. Good for everyone. And have you um, guys got a, uh, a Sandown uh, retro livery to unveil before the event? Oh, I can't say too much, but... Uh, there might yeah, be. There might, there might be. be. There might be. I think you might like it as well. If, if... Good to hear, good to hear. <laughs> well, Maka, we greatly appreciate it. I know Craig will uh, join me in, in saying that we look forward to when HRT are back out there punching well and truly above their weight and uh, getting the results that uh, you certainly deserve to be getting. And, Tony, no, we might even all. wait for the day when you call them by their right name, HSV. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I was going to say... Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Mobile, mobile. Eight, mobile one HSB racing. Yes, yes that would be good. <laughs> Great, Tony. Gotcha. Well, I look forward to it again, Mac. I'll catch up with you. No problem at all. Thank you. After the break, we'll come back with Kevin Fitzsimon. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. Lucky enough to continue our conversation. 
Craig uh, got to speak at Queensland Raceway Weekend with Kevin Fitzsimon. Fascinating insight into the 2018 tyre and its development. When do you get involved? We've got Newcastle, obviously, a new street circuit, but Tail and Bend, a track that's being designed for the goal of having a World Endurance Championship event there. When do you get involved with the discussions about how you're going to have to get a supercar tyre onto a track that's going to be a billiard brand new surface and also it's going to be very high speed if if the goal is to have these types of hybrid cars on there that's right well you know it's it's that type of thing with um the simulation packages that are around now are very very good and very very accurate so um uh we'll have a talk with the circuit regarding the the mix that they're using as to whether that's been used in another track so there's lots of things you can sort of sit back look at the loading on the corners um constant load on one particular corner of the car those type of things you sit back with the uh with the simulation package it can work all that out um you know the the uh the guys at Supercars have got a really, really good team in the technical department at the moment. They can sit back and come up with some recommendations. It may not be uh, out of the question to go there with your hardest option. Um, just as a, you know, just to sit back, right, for the first year, this is what we're doing, um, and, and, and get some actual genuine data because, you know, the simulation stuff is fantastic and accurate, but there's nothing like putting the car on the track. You know, as we found this year, you know, the, we spent a lot of money, well, sorry, Supercars spent a lot of money at, um, at Cowspan with the development of the 2017 spec Dunlop tyre for the supercars um, that data showed that with more camber on that keeps producing grip and the, the, the grip level increased and everything which then translated to being on track and it, believe me it was accurate but we're seeing camber figures and things that we never ever thought we'd ever see in a pink fit you know so um, so that type of scenario so certainly uh, come after the resurface I'll probably go over and have a look um, wander around uh, we'd, for New, as for Newcastle we're doing that after the, the Monday after Sydney Motorsport Park wandering to Newcastle have a bit of a look around get your bearings see where the supercar paddock the super 2 paddock's going to be from our logistics point of view um, find out where your hotel is find out where the supermarket is so all those things you don't have to do at the race meeting you know so you, you, you plan a bit you know six once again six months in advance you're sort of sitting back having a look look around um, you know we're down to four now with with sit with the Newcastle thing it's uh, it's uh, going pretty quick you know but the um, the, the tail and bin thing is uh, genuinely exciting to have a full new world-class facility built in our backyard you know it's uh, it's going to be fantastic and um, you know, look forward to it and the Shahin family have done, a, have done an amazing job with everything that's been built so far and the posts they're putting up on, you know, on Facebook with the, the pit lane facility going up now and, and all of that, it's, uh, it's going to be incredible so I'm really, really looking forward to that one and fingers crossed, you know, all the rumours saying that it's on the calendar for next year, let's hope it is Finally, you, you're a lover of motorsport across the board we have seen in, uh, in NASCAR and in some other series where they've had high-speed tracks and high-speed issues, they run an inner liner. What is the advantage and disadvantage of an inner liner in supercars where you're saying that drivers are saying that the tyre just goes and doesn't give you any feel? Obviously, the inner liner is there for safety, so it slowly depressurises as opposed to an instant depressurisation. Yeah, it does, and they run then on the super speedways in NASCAR, um, and you, you pressure it inside and outside, so it's basically like a tyre inside a tyre. Um, they are unbelievably heavy, and that's the the enemy of any any rotating mass is the enemy, believe me. So, uh, so that that's the thing. It's it's probably with a radial tyre. There's still a, a, a bias ply tyre for NASCAR. Um, so, um, 
you know, we we, uh, we probably wouldn't go down that the path of an inner liner. Uh, we've got the TPS TPMS uh, monitoring system now. We can pick up a slow leak, but it can't pick up a, a, a rapid, rapid deflation. You've got about a two-second um, delay on the information coming back to you, so you can pick up a slow leak. Well, poor old Rick Kelly at uh, Townsville, that was really unfortunate for them, but we were able to spot it. Uh, the tanker react to it pretty quickly and everything, so um, so that's really good, but an instant deflation is, is very, very difficult. Um, so, you know, that's where we've got to try and take the load off the shoulder, spread the load over a greater area on the tyre so they don't get that. And whether it gets to the point where you can put a Kev- Kevlar sheath inside the tyre to give it the strength, um, it, may, it may be something that we, we, we have to look at. Um, the factory haven't given me a full brief on everything they've actually done yet, but they've worked very, very hard on coming up with something that just gives, you know, a, um, exactly what we asked for, as I said, better heat um, dispersion over the, the surface of the tyre and spread the load over the surface of the tyre better as opposed to concentrating on a small area which is what it's got now when you're running a high camber. So it, it's that type of scenario, you know, you'd love to sit back and say that things are bulletproof for 100% of the time, um, but we all know that's not going to happen, whether it be a, you know, a, a brake failure, whether it be a, you know, an engine failure, it just things break, mm. it happens and, you know, it's like I said to somebody once, it's like getting an iPhone 7 and complaining to Apple it doesn't work on the bottom of your swimming pool. You know, it's not quite what it's designed to do, you know. So, um, But, you know, we, we um, certainly are fully aware of the safety angle of, you know, drivers, spectators, flag marshals, any pit lane official, anybody that, you know, we, we're well, well aware of that and working to make sure that we produce a product that, you know, um, doesn't create any sort of concern moving forward. And, of course, the, uh, the layman would say, well, why don't we have an inner tube? Yeah, same deal. You know, the tyres turn on the rims, so if you've got an inner tube, it'll actually rip the neck out of the tube. You know, that's what happens with rally cars. Um, you give them a lot of grip. Um, these cars have got, you know, enormous horsepower um, and incredible brakes. You know, like they, when you go for people with a rider, and they just always sit back and say, the brakes, the brakes, the brakes. You know, you you, uh, you don't get an appreciation of the speed sometimes until they stand on that middle pedal, and that's the type of thing. that You know, we don't balance the wheels. Um, the tyres do turn on the rim, and it can be 180 degrees. So if you balance it, then all of a sudden you, you know, your 30 grams sort of will become 60, you know, when the tyres turn. But um, that would happen if the, the tube turns it would actually the valve sticking out of the rim that it would actually rip the neck out of the valve and as I said it, it happens in rallying circles and you know trucks all sorts of things if the, if the pressure's down a bit it just rips the neck out of the valve so uh, uh, once again weight um, yeah the, the, the engineers hate weight so um, you know like uh, rotating masses you've got to accelerate it and you've got to slow it down sort of thing it's the last thing they'd want to do but it sounds like every change is an increased cost in production and you win a tender at a price to supply tyres. So if you're then going to put a Kevlar heat sink across the face of the tyre, do you, are you able to uh, recoup some of these uh, design yeah, costs? Well, that's a discussion for probably people above my pay grade. You know, <laughs> um, you know, it's that type of thing. The factory may be able to sit back once again because you haven't got downtime in in stopping the production line or that. If it's just an um, if it's just an, an additive in the build process, um, that reduces cost. If it's something that's got to be developed and tested and everything, you know, like it's it's not a t- cheap exercise to to uh, to do this test. What we, we're going to do down the aisle on the other the circuit itself's not cheap to hire the cars aren't cheap you know the crews you've got to get people down there um it's a very very expensive exercise so we've got to get it right which is why we've booked two days um to to make sure we'll test some other things while we're down there as well um so let's just hope the weather gods are on our side and we can um you know phillip island without doubt is the toughest track in the world on tires no matter what category you're racing whether it be two wheels four wheels it doesn't matter it is the toughest place in the world so we can get it right down there we know we'll be okay 
Kevin, always a pleasure to catch up with you and uh, all the best as we head into the uh, season of endurance. Yeah, looking forward to that one. It's going to be big. Cheers, thanks. And after the break, we'll come back, Craig, with our final thoughts. Uh, fantastic, uh, that summing up of what's happening in the Dunlop Tyres for 2018. Um, it'll be interesting to uh, hear your final thoughts uh, before what's happening this weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park, Craig. And indeed, that's what it's all about. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's tour at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back. Craig, your final thought. My final thought is going to go directly in contrast with yours. My final thought is Jamie Winkup is a dead cert to win this weekend. And that's where I'll leave it. All right. Well, mine is really about Scotty because I just wanted to highlight something that maybe a lot of people already know but maybe they haven't thought about. Is that Scotty McLaughlin is having a phenomenal qualifying year. He obviously is leading the point score as well. But he has jumped into 10th place of the all-time pole winners in Australian touring car racing. He has taken out Marcus Ambrose. In a very short space of time, he has moved into equal third place with Brock on the most successive pole positions. Brock already, he had 13 poles successively many years ago, but Brock sits also in third place with five successive poles, as does Dick Johnson. But Scott's moved into third place there. He could equal it again this weekend, even go further. And one of the things, he has already moved into 10th place because he's already matched the number of pole positions he brought into this season. He's got 22 poles now. And he's only, he's 10 years younger than Win Cup. So he's got 10 years before, he can well and truly set a new benchmark. He can, he can set records that will possibly never be broken. Jamie Win Cup is a phenomenal champion, has done amazing things. And Scotty, has already put down the roots because he started so young to be in a winning position. Wonderful thing. I just think it'll be an amazing weekend because uh, clearly DJs and Triple Eight will be battling it out with PRA, PRA somewhere close behind. I just so it'll be Tony. a great weekend. We look forward to talking next week and finding out the backwash of what happened at Sydney Motorsport Park this weekend. Tony, Thank I just Craig. wonder. I just wonder in ten years' time. We'll be doing this show talking about uh, our two six-time champions. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Anyway. Of course, Jamie more than likely has got a few more championships in as well. So Indeed. he's not going anywhere in a hurry. Although he has said, of course, that he, uh, he doesn't want to get old in the category, doesn't he? he, he yes, and every, t- every time a contract negotiation comes up, he's always going to NASCAR. <laughs> All right, Craig. Well, thank you very much for this week. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.